Hi, everybody. Uh, just wanted to pop in here real quick before the episode starts to give a little, uh, not a disclaimer, more of just a, a funny note <laughs> before this podcast starts. Um, so as you may or may not know, when I do a, when, I, when I do an episode with a guest, I will generally do the intro and outro portion separately from the, uh, the recording that I do with that person. Um, and that's the case for this episode, too. It was a great time. Um, I will say, though, that, um, look, okay, so th- it, it, as you know, this episode is about Invasion 2001, the pay-per-view, and the Invasion was a notoriously disastrous storyline in a lot of people's eyes, so it's only fitting <laughs> for this podcast episode of The Apron Pump to be somewhat of a, it's not disaster, but it's just a... It's a quirky one, let me tell you. Um, there were there are a few audio issues, which I'll touch on in a few minutes, but it's still very listenable and still very good. Uh, a great time between me and my guest today. Um, but what I wanted to get on here real quick and mention is that my intro and outro for this episode. So last Friday, I was home alone. My girlfriend was out with her family, and I was just uh, you know by myself, and I was like, hmm. You know what I think I'm gonna do tonight? I think I'm gonna try that uh that new Apple Rita recipe that The Rock posted on his Instagram. And uh I had all the ingredients, I made it, and boy howdy was it delicious. So I had uh several, several, several Apple Ritas. And uh just hanging out by myself at home, you know, watching some wrestling, playing some video games, nothing crazy. And then it's uh all of a sudden it's 2 a.m. and I'm like, you know what I wanna do right now? <laughs> I wanna record an intro and an outro for my episode this week. So I hop on here, I record it, and as I'm recording it, I'm like, man, hardest part of the ring, you sound absolutely delicious on this mic. There is absolutely nothing wrong with this intro or outro. Perfect. Throw it out. We're ready. So (laughs) that was Friday night. And (laughs) I listened to it on uh, Sunday night, and I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Uh, it is very, very clear that I have many, many tequilas inside of me as I'm, uh, as I'm speaking. Uh, and I just wanted to mention that out front because I didn't want you guys to think I was just low energy or that I was losing passion for what I was doing, what I was doing, because, uh, that is not the case. I am just quite inebriated and sleepy. <laughs> so... I feel I'm, I'm going to leave it in, but I just want to come out and say why I sound so ridiculous in the beginning. So with that, let's get to it. What's up, everybody? Hardest part of the ring is here again with another delicious, tasty, chewy, spicy apron bump. Ooh, doggy, what a fucking pay-per-view we have for you today. Um, everybody's favorite WWE WWF storyline of all time. 
That's right. Shut the fuck up, cat. <laughs> the invasion. As my cat invades the podcast, all oh, we're all having fun here. Anyways, um, <laughs> but yes, WWF Invasion 2001. Uh, I guess the only Invasion pay-per-view, but fuck it, just for the sake of uh, consistency. WWF Invasion 2001 is the review that we have for you today. Lots, lots to get into. We are fresh off of King of the Ring 2001. Uh, That show, you saw Edge win the King of the Ring tournament. You saw Stone Cold retain his title against Benoit and Jericho. Uh, What the fuck else you got? Oh, you got that legendary legendary street fight between Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon. And all of this is fucking hilarious because (laughs) we're here at Invasion, like, what, a month later, if that? And nothing that really happened at King of the Ring is, like, a factor anymore because, you know, we'll get into it, but the Invasion... The invasion is it's a very divisive topic. There's a lot of people that really, really hate it, and for good reason. But um, I feel like it maybe gets more hate than it deserves, and uh, me and my guest today will get into that. But um, yeah, man, just a lot of un- un- uh, uncertainty with what to do with WCW. Um, if, if you don't know, uh, here in 2001, we're pretty much fresh off of WCW going out of business um ecw as well so at this point wwf is monopolizing the wrestling industry and uh, all of a sudden they have all of these all this new talent um that they have to their disposal they don't have the goldbergs yet they don't have nwo they don't have uh rick flair eric bischoff any of those guys they don't have sandman they don't have Sabu, but they got, you know, Shane Helms. They got Chavo Guerrero. They got uh, Justin Credible. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was just it's just a funny, funny time period to watch in hindsight because, as many of you may, may or may not know, uh, the original plan with WCW was to create its own brand within WWF, kind of like how they had Raw and SmackDown eventually. The plan was to have a WWF brand and a WCW brand, and they tried that on Raw by uh, main eventing the show with a WCW world title match that consisted of a Booker T facing Buff Bagwell. And if you're not aware, that is one of the most notoriously bad main events of all time worth going back and watching just to hear the crowd reaction or lack of reaction <laughs> to the in-ring action but um yeah so they wanted to create its own brand and then you know th- there were uh, like i remember all that right i remember the buff bagwell shit and all that all the title matches that they had on raw and smackdown but what i do not remember is that they were setting up angles within wcw at the time like an and in anticipation of creating it that own brand that singular brand so a lot of start and stop a lot of just trying shit a lot of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks but 
ultimately, ultimately, it leads us to this invasion, which the general arc of it, the general umbrella of this show is WWF versus the alliance of WCW and ECW. So I won't harp any longer, uh, but I do want to mention that I had a great guest for this episode. I had a Joey from The Angle podcast. Uh, you can check his podcast out on uh, all podcast platforms. You can uh, check out his website, theangleradio.com. And uh, yeah, really, really fun time. Um, I will say <laughs> this dude has been traveling around the country of the United States for God knows how long in an RV, you know, he's going to the Grand Canyon, he's in the woods, he's in Kentucky, he's in who 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 knows, but um <laughs> so I I mentioned this because uh he actually um recorded this with me while he was in an RV uh which was a little <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but there's definitely like a consistent hum in the background and I did all I could to kind of uh get rid of it. But uh, I'm still new to this audio engineering, audio manipulation, whatever, whatever you want to call it. So I did my best to make the audio uh, listenable. And I think it even affected my audio as well somehow. I don't know if the feedback did that or if it was just so intense that it, it just went through my microphone into my mouth and made me talk all shitty. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so if it sounds a little... Uh, little little uh little underground if it sounds a little alternative if it sounds like you just put 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 this podcast on a on a disc spinner and then put the the fucking the uh can you tell i'm a i'm a i'm a, I'm a millennial <laughs> i'm trying to like reference a a record player but i don't know what any of the parts are called um so yeah if it's if the, i'm just mentioning now if the audio sounds kind of suspect that that is why because this man literally just got done hunting and gathering in the woods to come be on my show. So I really appreciate him for that. But with that, let's get to it. WWF Invasion 2001 with myself and Joey from The Angle Podcast. Yeah, thank you for making the time to uh, to join me on here. I know your life's kind of uh, busy <laughs> right now. And it's all good. I appreciate, I appreciate you. Yeah. yeah, of course. Uh, so were you able to catch Invasion? Um, I was. I was. Yeah, so I, I asked this to everybody that uh, that comes on here, but were you actually watching live during this era? Um, this time, honestly, 2001, I was, oh, I think I was like 10 or 11 at the time. Yeah. And uh, it's a different experience watching it at that age than it is now. You understand everything a little differently now. Uh, so I right. didn't get to watch it as a kid. Um, I think I did here and there, but watching it as an adult, like I said, it changes the whole idea of it, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you know like all the backstage implications that were happening during this time, it really changes a lot. Exactly. And the backstory leading up to all the events and things like that. So uh, it's definitely a different different idea now for me i guess yeah yeah exactly so um for, for anybody listening that's not aware uh wwf invasion was a pay-per-view designed to be basically wwf versus the the alliance of wcw and ecw and um 
I mean, we could do like a whole episode on just talking about the invasion and like the, <laughs> the, pit, the pitfalls of it and where they could have gone in other directions and where they went wrong. But uh, I guess just in general, because it's kind of a, a divisive topic. Some people hated the invasion. Some people liked it. What, what were your thoughts on this whole storyline just in general? You know what? I am I am a big fan of storylines that we don't necessarily see all the time. Um, when I think about the invasion angle, there's other storylines that I can see, at least in the last 10 years or so, that kind of took a similar uh, idea. Like, for example, the Nexus coming in, kind of uh, taking out everybody, leading up to that uh, SummerSlam match, Nexus versus WWE. There was history uh, kind of repeating itself in that, in that sense. Uh, so I was a fan of the storyline. I am a fan of the storyline. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, like I said, I didn't understand it as much when I was younger. Um, but there was really, in my opinion, no other way to kind of bring in another company, especially a rival company like, like WCW at the time, where you can kind of make everybody uh, on the same page. So to do this and then have, obviously, WWE or WWF at the time uh, kind of take the reins and then everybody kind of join together, I guess was a way to transition everybody can do that yeah yeah the thing that fascinates me so much about this is how um it's it's so clear that they just didn't know how to handle wcw like the acquisition of all these new wrestlers right it's because so i'm in the process of reading jr's book and he goes into a lot of detail about this um a lot of it's common knowledge too and and how um you know the the original plan was to make wcw its own brand um, yeah. and, they, and they tested that with uh, that famous Booker T and Buff Bagwell match on Raw. <laughs> um, and then I think it was Booker versus DDP on the, the next SmackDown. Yep. Um, and one thing that I, I watched all the Raws and SmackDowns leading up to this, and because I remember that Buff Bagwell Booker T match, but what I do what I do not remember is how they were kind of like setting up angles within WCW, like in preparation for that that separate brand. Um, I think it was that SmackDown after where um, all the WCW guys ganged up on Booker T and Shane McMahon just beat the shit out of them for, and it's and like the, the next show, they like completely just pretended like it didn't happen. Um, yeah. Well, I think it was more of testing the waters to see how it worked. Kind of like what we see now today with uh, raw underground. They had the cruiserweight yeah. power on raw a few years back. They kind of just test the waters to see if it's going to work. But I don't think that's enough to base on if these guys or girls uh, should be on TV or not. Putting on one or two matches like that and then kind of something like I mean, you're you're taking in a different company. The fans obviously are are a lot smarter today than they were back then because of social media and the internet. But they knew that there was two different companies and they knew that WWF had a so it wasn't like they were just bringing in these random people right yeah no exactly and it's 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 obviously a shame you know with the the aol contracts being the main reason we didn't get to see guys like goldberg and uh staying and nwo and things like that it really just i think the main thing with the invasion for me because ultimately i don't think it was that bad but it just had so much more potential. And I think that's really why it has such a bad rap. 
Yeah. Because um, literally, if they would have waited like six months, they could have done this and it would have been amazing because you would have had, you know, Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff, the NWO, Goldberg, uh, maybe not Goldberg, but it, it just would have had a lot more talent rather than the guys that really were, weren't established in WCW until like the very later, leaner years. Of course. When I look at these things, I like to kind of uh, look at both sides, spectrum where one is more of on the fan, I want to be entertained. Second is where I look at it from a business standpoint. I understand from a business standpoint why they did it so fast. And that's because they didn't want the fans to forget these people in six months. You know, you close down WCW. If you were to wait six months, fans might not remember all the names. I mean, you can't say who or what, you know, who would, who wouldn't. But, you know, from a business standpoint, they wanted to capitalize when it was hot. Uh, in a sense, and just run with it that way. But was it the best idea to do it the way they did? Probably not. Right. You know yeah. You look back at history, you can say that about everything. So. Exactly. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. We have the, the luxury of having hindsight on the situation and we weren't <laughs> making the, the decision. So I guess that's a good point. You can't really blame them for doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this show in general, I don't remember a whole lot about it other than the main event. And um, the hardcore title match, which we'll get into eventually. Um, but yeah, this first match here, and it kind of plays into what I was talking about earlier and how they like were kind of changing things on the fly. Yep. So we have Ed- Edge and Christian versus the team of Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. So there's no titles at play here. It's just a tag match to, uh, to open the show. And the, th- the thing I find funny about it is that, you know, Edge wins the King of the Ring. And you know, the weeks after they're kind of alluding to an eventual breakup between Edge and Christian. You have, uh, you have Christian kind of being insecure about losing. He's, he's trying to like make excuses, you know, Shane McMahon cost me the King of the Ring match. That's why I didn't win. Like things like that. And then you know, I almost wonder if they were planning to do this earlier. Um, Cause eventually later in 2001, they would, they would do that breakup, but it's just funny how they kind of like shifted game plans on the fly, you know, when the whole invasion storyline kind of unfolded as it did. Uh, do you remember anything about that? I do. And you know what? Going back to what was an Edge and Christian, kind of teasing that breakup, I think a lot of that is done, even today or, or just in general, because if you look at the backstage uh, producers or the major or the top guys, so I say top guys backstage, they're kind of the same people who were around at that time, too. You have Michael Hayes, you have, uh, you have Chris Pritchard back there. Uh, so there's sort of a similar mentality backstage. So I think that was done, uh, like I said earlier, to test the waters. Okay, we have Edge and Christian. We want to, we want to have um, them both in a singles run. Let's kind of test what would, to see what the fans would think. If Edge starts gaining some success and Christian starts getting jealous, maybe maybe we turn Edge on Christian and Christian Edge. There's there's a hundred different ideas that are behind it, um, and it's kind of like whatever the fans pick up on is kind of where they go because that will get over. Um, right. But in this in this particular match, um, I honestly I wasn't too familiar with the alliance or uh, WCW and ECW just because when I was really young. And two, I was, you know, at that time, really only think of WWF as the 
main the main thing. So yeah, same. Edging Christians were just you knew them. Mm-hmm. You, you knew them. You rooted for them. And that was kind of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's because I was the same way. I actually kind of. Uh, took a break from watching wrestling like around this time period. So this it's yeah. all kind of fuzzy to me too. Um, and I was always just like you, I was a WWF guy, you know, my old childhood. Cause I was probably like nine, nine or so. So I was, I was a similar age to you when I was watching that show. Um, and I wasn't familiar at all with Lance Storm or Mike Awesome, but, uh, and watching this match back, it was solid. I mean, it wasn't, you know, anything that you need to like go back and watch if you haven't seen this match or anything, but it was a solid opener. Um, yeah. I always love watching Edge and Christian tag together because uh, the thing that they do that you don't see like very often nowadays, they work as a team. Because a lot of tag team matches, you'll see, even back then too, a lot of tag team matches can end up being just like a series of singles matches. Of if that makes any sense, it's just kind of people taking turn, taking turns having one-on-one matches. But Edge and Christian in this match, you know, there's a lot of double team moves. There's a lot of... Um, you know, somebody ducks and then gets hit and the other person gets hit. And then um, there's like a that small package spot in this match where Edge is in the small package and then Christian comes in and turns it. So Edge has the advantage. Just little things like that make me really enjoy Edge and Christian. And the tag team division was my favorite part of watching WWF back then, in my opinion. No, I agree with you. Tag team wrestling uh, had Edge and Christian that brought in the Dudleys, you had uh, the Hardy Boys. There's so many teams that were, uh, I guess, so natural together where yeah. I feel like over the years that kind of faded away where they just put people together to create a tag team. We see that today with the Usos. Um, really, I, I don't know another t- tag team that are that close. FTR. FTR, yeah, FTR. Yeah. There's, there's only a few of them, though, so yeah, it's hard to like think of a big list. Yeah, you got the Young Bucks. But uh, besides that, you need that ta- you need that uh, natural ability to counter each other. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes beyond the ring. That goes, you have to go backstage and you've got to understand each other. And there's a real relationship there. It's not just a business relationship. It's, yeah. There's a full friendship. Chemistry. Chemistry to work, yeah. And Edge and Christian really did that. They really had that. For sure. For sure. Both together and against each other, of I course. think. Now, Lance Storm and Mike Awesome, they did do well together. But back to the chemistry thing, there was no chemistry. Now, if you want to talk about Lance Storm, uh, two years after this match, <laughs> I'd be glad to. But yeah. at that time, <laughs> I had no idea. Like, I, I just didn't have any, I wasn't familiar with yeah, yeah, I wasn't either, and I don't really even know if they were a team in WCW. No, um, I guess they just threw them together. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was a solid match, passable match. Um, ultimately, Edge and Christian get the win here, and um, so it's funny. So they start the tally here because they're like kind of it's WWF versus the Alliance, and the the commentators they're all putting over. Oh, WWF is one and zero, but it's like midway through the show. They remember that on Heat, uh, Chavo Guerrero faced Scotty Tuhati, yeah. which uh, which uh, Chavo beat him. Um, and it's funny because, like, you know, going back to changing things on the fly, they kind of like started adding that to the tally in the middle of the show. I don't know if that was like an audible or if that was all by design. Um, 
it might have been brought it might have been brought in as like a way to kind of highlight that match because it was yeah. on heat. Um, like, oh, let's go back to this match because this is what uh, changed everything to halfway through the show. Exactly. So, well, yeah, because like when the main event starts, or when when they get to the main event, it's it's all tied up. Exactly. So yeah, it might have been just the last minute thing they changed there, but. Whatever the case, it's a pretty solid match there. Um, <laughs> a very uh, weird transition into the next match. Earl Hebner versus Nick Patrick. Who doggy? Um, with Mick Foley as a special guest referee. It was, I mean, look, it's, this match wasn't put here to be a five-star. You know, it wasn't Macho Man versus Ric Flair. It's, it was a, a spectacle. It was a... Um, you know, just like a not a let up match, but it, it was a match designed to be entertaining and not necessarily a, a technical masterpiece of any sorts. And it was pretty short, um, but for what it was, I mean, it was more entertaining than I think it had any right to be, in my yeah. opinion. Um, I'm not going to go and suggest that any of these guys are you know, <laughs> really athletic or should be world champion or anything. But for what it was, um, I enjoyed it. I was entertained by it. I loved how they all they, they wrestled in their ref uniforms. Um, I loved how they had all the refs ringside. Um, it was just fun stuff. Hebner, Earl Hebner ends up getting the win here with some sort of clothesline, crossbody thing. He just kind of throws his body at Nick Patrick and ends up landing on him for the pin. Um, that, was a, that was a fun little little segment here. What did you think? You know what? Having, having referees go head-to-head, adding Mick Foley to it, Know, adding more of a gimmick style to it, uh, bringing the entertainment side to it. Um, I really liked how they included the referees. It's not something that you've seen before yeah. or you see after. It's like this is really WCW and ECW versus WWF, even down yeah. to the referees. I think this is a great way to uh, really show the line in the middle between the, the companies. And then, yeah. to, you know, if they can make entertainment out of it, which they did, especially Earl Hefner, <laughs> great referee and uh, great entertainer. Oh, he's <laughs> a star. Earl is a star. A star. <laughs> and then you throw Mick Foley in there, and that just changes everything. Exactly. Yeah, well, you always have that to fall on. Um, but, man, watching this match really made me wish we would have gotten a, uh, a Tony Schiavone versus Jim Ross match. <laughs> Five stars. You know what? That's one thing they were missing was the, the announcer somewhat or something. I mean, we've seen it over the years, but it should have been, it should have happened at this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, so after that, we got APA versus the team of Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo. So this is a champion versus champion match. Um, APA at this point are positioned as like the locker room leaders, um, at least of like the, jobbers like they're the leaders of SA Rios and Crash Holly but um and Chuck Palumbo and O'Hare the, the WCW tag team champions um what did you think of O'Hare and Palumbo both as a team and singles because I think both these guys had so much more potential than they ended up reaching I feel like these two uh especially Chuck Palumbo because you've seen him with so many different gimmicks over the years uh singles and as a tag team you saw him with Billy and Chuck uh, mm-hmm. Billy Gunn. Uh, we've seen him. Cool. I think the last thing that he had in WWE was with the motorcycle gimmick. Yeah, yeah. So he was able to pull off a lot of different things, 
and still be over, heel or or face. Um, definitely underrated. A hundred. That's the um, Definitely, I think they held him down. You know, back in, in those times, they had. I mean, not even those times. Today, too, they they pick who they want to be at the top. Right? That's who they keep there. So, mm-hmm. Chuck Palumbo, uh, great athlete in the ring, did any kind of gimmick over. I mean, this guy had more of a flamboyant character with, like I said, Billy, Billy and uh, Rico, and then went to more of a darker character with the biker. Guy. Sean O'Hare. Exactly. Sean O'Hare was a monster. The guy, the guy was a beast. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily remember him so much from uh, that time, but his time with Ra- Roddy Roddy Piper when he first came to yeah. SmackDown, I think that was o two o three. He, I I thought that they kind of dropped the ball with him. To be honest, I agree. Yeah, because that's what I remember from him too. Because I, I like like you, I didn't remember him being a part of the, the invasion really in any prominent role. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you, I remember him with Roddy Piper, and I think that's, that was honestly pretty much it. As yeah, that was it. Yeah. And for anybody to put Roddy, people with Roddy Piper, I mean, they had plans. There was some sort of idea behind that. They wouldn't just put Piper with anybody. So exactly, yeah, he had the he had the look, he had the athleticism. It's really yeah. it's just one of those things we'll never know. But um, and Chuck Palumbo, like you said, anybody that can bounce back from yeah. Billy and Chuck and because he had a, a brief, you know, brush with main event. Oh, maybe not main event, but I remember he was a pretty prominent figure on SmackDown for a little bit when he was that biker guy. Yeah, he, like had, he was with Tori. He did a whole thing with Tori Wilson, and I think, I if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Jamie Noble. Jamie Noble, Chuck Palumbo, and Tori Wilson. I think it hmm. was. Yeah, something like that. That, that whole that whole era. I think that was the Batista era yep. kind of time. So, um yeah, a lot of competition on the main event during that time as well. But um, but yeah, as far as this match itself um, versus the APA, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't um, it was an APA match. I mean, it, it had a tough time keeping my attention personally. Um, pretty pretty rugged. Um, it was pretty much uh, O'Hare and Palumbo dominating the match for like ninety eight percent of it, and then at the end, Bradshaw hits a close line of health for the win. So. Um, APA wins here, and at this point, WWF is three and O in the tally. Uh, what do you think about this match? Um, definitely a different sight to see APA kind of being destroyed. Um, yeah, but in my head, as a wrestling fan for so long, you kind of know where that's going to go. We're going to bounce back towards the end of the match. Um, exactly. But listen, you give these four guys, you give the APA seven minutes to go do a match. You know what you're getting with the APA. Getting high intensity, yep. you're getting an impressive, uh, hard hitting match. Uh, you got the strength of Farouk. You got, you know, the, the I guess the aggressiveness from JBL or Bradshaw at the time. So I, exactly the stiffness in the ring. I enjoyed the match just because I was a big fan of the APA. Um, another team with great chemistry. Yep. Uh, yeah, because at this point they've been teaming for for years, at least like three or four years at this point. Yeah, another team that can get over any gimmick. You put them with the Undertaker, and then you you know you do this. And I was a fan of it, but definitely and then you have see, JBL a few years later. Exactly, but to see the APA take out champions, um, 
like you said, they were put out as predominantly the, the locker room leaders, the top guys at the time. Mm-hmm. So it all just made sense. But, you know, decent match, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, just four big dudes hitting each other hard. And you can only, I can only be so bad in the end. Exactly. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but we go from big dudes to littler dudes. We have X-Pac versus Billy Kidman. It's another uh, another champ versus champ match. We have the cruiserweight champion versus the light heavyweight champion. Um, so I like to ask this to everybody that comes on for uh, an X-Factor episode. What were your thoughts on X-Factor, the stable? Um, you know what? It was unique. <laughs> that, that is a word for it. Yeah, unique. Um, they gave you everything you ever wanted, and they never gave it back. Exactly. It's kind of one of those things where you don't expect that to be what it is, but you enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was much more short-lived than I remember because you know, they had X-Pac, Albert, and Just Incredible, and now we have Just Incredible joining the Alliance, and so now it's just X-Pac and Albert. So yeah, you know, as much I guess I guess that's why they kind of get joked on a lot is because they really had not a lot of impact in the grand scheme of things. Well, the thing is also because at this time, I mean, this time they had you had bigger bigger stables, and those mm-hmm. stables are more prominent on the shows. So anything smaller than that was kind of like now it wasn't taken seriously just because you're looking at uh, the NWO or you're looking at somebody else, you know, DX. Yeah. different stables, different teams that are t- kind of taking that, that view away. So, mm-hmm. kind of overlooked. Yeah, yeah, especially during the whole invasion when it's basically two big stables facing each other, so it's easy to get kind of lost. Exactly. It's giving everybody um, a place on the card in the show. Yeah, yeah, big or small, everybody, everybody's included. Um, yeah, the match itself was, uh, it was pretty solid. Um, I think these, these guys had pretty good chemistry together. Yep. Um, really sick spot with X-Pot catching Billy Kidman out of the air with an X-Factor. I was really shocked that only got a two count because that, w- that would have been a finish any other night. Um, but ultimately, Kidman gets the win with the shooting star splash. Um, really, you know, when I was watching back then, I had never seen a shooting star splash. So you, shooting really? star press? Press. Shooting star press. I know that sounded weird. Um it changes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but man, after seeing so many other people do it over the years, Billy Kidman has one of like the most awkward-looking shooting star presses I've ever seen. He does. It's like a quick, like I don't know. It's it's a, it's a little. It's all business. It's all business. Exactly. No flash. It's the best way to put it. You put it. You put <laughs> it's it. Matt Seidel or Evan Ward in there, getting a uh, a double five, shooting star press. Yeah, like a five star. Yeah. Press, whatever you yeah, want. Exactly. Um, but yeah, what'd you think about the match here? You know what? These t- I was a fan of Billy Kidman at WCW. I was a fan mm-hmm. of Xbox wherever he went, uh, whether that was WCW or WWF. Huge fans of both. Um, I was a major, I was really high on the cruiserweight action. They didn't really oh, label okay. it as the cruiserweight action then. Um, it was more like a high flying style for both. They didn't mm-hmm. really label it as cruiserweights. I don't know if then they had 
did they have the cruiserweight title at that time? So here, Billy Kidman is the cruiserweight champion, but that's kind of painted as like a WCW title. Yeah, it was WCW. Of, they didn't have one for WWE. Well, they had the light heavyweight title. Light that, heavyweight. Was like that was like beyond an afterthought. Yep. Um, but but ultimately, they end up bringing over the cruiserweight title to replace the light heavyweight title. Yep. And there was like a period in like 2002, 2003, where every SmackDown, every pay-per-view that had SmackDown on it would have an awesome cruiserweight match. You know, Billy yeah. Kidman... Jamie Noble when he comes to Jiri, Ray Mysterio. Mysterio. Exactly. Exactly. They yeah. threw in Matt Hardy at a, at a point, and they had yeah. the whole, I don't know. Yeah. One, one of my biggest pops I've ever had watching wrestling is when Ray Mysterio beat Matt Hardy for the Cruiserweight title in like 2003. Yep. Like little, however old I was, 12 years old at the time, I was pumped for that. So I remember at WrestleMania, nine, I think it was 19. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, 19. They went, they were the opening match of the show with the Cruiserweight title, and Matt Hardy retained. And I thought there was, I thought Mysterio was taking it. I was so upset. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was crazy. But got a little bit to go there before the Cruiserweight kind of division is established. I guess, I guess it's after the draft. Yeah. Um, that's kind of their, the, the, the way SmackDown differentiated itself was with that Cruiserweight title. Um, but this next match was not a cruiserweight match. Raven versus William Regal. Um, a match that was added last minute. I guess they set it up on heat. I didn't watch the heat before this. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a... To say it was a clash of styles would be an understatement. Um, it, yeah. Like I said, it was a late, yeah. late addition. So it, there wasn't a lot of heat to the, to the feud. And the crowd didn't really care. So I think that kind of hurt this match a little bit. Um, technically it was fine, um, but it was kind of boring. I think the crowd energy definitely hurt it. Um, the biggest pop was actually when Taz in- interfered towards the end of it, gave Regal an exploder suplex, um, and then Raven hits his Raven effect DDT for the win. Um, personally, I think this match is really added to make the tally even at the end of the show. Um, but I don't know. What do you think of it? I kind of have to agree with you there. I didn't really see the necessity of adding this match, especially because they're so unique in their styles. They're different with their styles. So throwing this match together last minute kind of doesn't give you that opportunity to kind of plan a good match. I just throw it together when they're complete opposite styles. Yeah. Um, you have Raven, who's more of a, I guess, stiffer, more extreme kind of. Hardcore based. Hardcore. And you have William Regal, who's more technical, uh, aggressive in a way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely a unique match. Uh, I kind of was feeling a William Regal win, if I'm being yeah. honest. Um, yeah. But like you said, this was a way to kind of tally up things, throw Taz in there. Uh, maybe, maybe I don't even know if Taz, if that was supposed to happen or because they felt the match was doing poorly they threw Taz out there yeah <laughs> that, that's kind a like big possibility liven up the crowd <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Taz hasn't gotten a pop like that since he debuted in Madison Square Garden exactly that's crazy um <laughs> yeah that match was what it was and the, the next match was kind of a similar similar theme to it uh a six-man tag so you have the big show Billy Gunn and Albert versus the team of Sean Stasiak 
Hugh Morris, and Canyon. Um, so I was very caught off guard when the WCW guys came out. They came out to like a remix of Mr. Perfect's theme song. Yeah. Do you know anything? Maybe that was just a thing for the network. Or was that like one of their theme songs in WCW? Do you know? I honestly don't remember. Um, I know the network, they kind of changed things up. Like I know for at yeah. one point they, they took out uh, Trish Stratus' theme song. They put some some generic thing. So there was some times where I'm like, hmm, that's not what I remember watching when, yeah. I, yeah, when exactly. I watched it live or when I had the DVD. Um, oh, man. I don't remember it, it, exactly. Yeah. It, it infuriates me because on, so on the pay-per-views, they do have Uncle Cracker for X Factor, but on the Sprawls and Smackdowns, they replaced it with some generic, like almost sounds like it kind of song. So it really, really takes the experience away from me there. It does. Um, <laughs> it does. Uh, man, yeah, this match was what it was. I mean, it was just another match that was kind of thrown together. Um, a, a big meat chant when Sean Stasiak came in which made me laugh my ass off. Uh, were, were you a big Meat fan? I wasn't, to be honest with you. Just like everybody else. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, man, it's, that's crazy. But uh, kind of a goofy finish to this match. So Gun, Billy Gunn's going for the one and only, which is like a sleeper slam, going for it on Hugh Morris. Sean Stasiak hits the DDT, and then Hugh Morris kind of falls on him. But both Hugh Morris and Sean Stasiak are like trying to, they don't know who's legal. So it's kind of an awkward finish. Um, WCW gets the win here ultimately. Uh, But my favorite part of the match is the post match beat down uh, by the WWF guys. I mean, the the, the choke slams that Big Show was throwing out, because he took Hugh Morris, who has got to be at least 300 pounds. And he picks him up with one hand and slams him like a basketball, which is insane. but yeah, man, what, what are your thoughts on all this? Um, I wasn't really a fan of this match uh, just because it was kind of like, like you said, thrown together. You have Big Show, Albert, and Billy Gunn on one end. Kind of know what you're getting with those guys. Um, mm-hmm. Sean, Stasiak, Hugh Morris, even Chris Canyon. You're not really sure. I, I, they, they weren't as well known. They were known in, in their respective companies, but you put them against yeah. People like Billy Gunn and Big Show, Albert, not yet, not so at that time, but people who were seriously established in WWF. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of just threw me off a little bit. It was one of the shorter matches of the entire night, which was. Thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. But <laughs> you expect that with the size of the guys in the ring. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much all the hosses in one match. Exactly. So that's kind of why I was really kind of turned off from it because you kind of know what you're getting. It's just a bunch of big guys in the ring. They're going to throw themselves at each other until someone gets pinned. Um, right. Definitely the, the post-match scene that you're talking about, choke slams. I mean, that that was the pop of the entire the entire story. So, Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and Big, big Show st- at this point is still trying to get over his Ali oop finisher. Yep. At a power bomb into a face buster. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That was my favorite move in the video game. <laughs> See, in a video game, it looks pretty good because it's yes. so exaggerated. Yes. Um, but it always looks kind of, I don't know, I, I was always a bigger fan of the choke slam for Big Show, in my opinion, or even the final cut. Yeah. It, it, watching it live, no. Choke slam. <laughs> yeah. Every day. Every day. Um, 
But after this, we have a backstage segment with Shane and Booker T. And I only bring this up because this this is the point. You know, all these matches we've covered, and they're just now bringing up how Chavo beat Scotty Tuhati on Heat. And so technically that brings the tally to four and three um, with WCW in the lead, I believe. So, but, uh, but after this, Taz versus Tajiri. Now, if we were talking about this match, like three years ago in ECW would have been a banger. Yep. Um, but this match was just kind of there for me. Um, there's some continuity here because Tajiri at this point is the, like the assistant of Regal, who is the commissioner. And then Taz interfered, took out Regal in his match. And now Tajiri is kind of getting revenge on the, for Taz attacking Regal earlier. Um, but yeah, two gold mines from ECW that ultimately didn't really reach their potential, in my opinion, here. But this match, um, while it was kind of short, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, and the finish comes with uh, Tajiri, green misting Taz, the old dreaded green mist, uh, followed by a buzzsaw kick for the win here. Um, yeah, like I said, for what it was, um, I was fine with it. What about you? This was one of the best ways I can describe WWE's writing team, or whatever we want to say, kind of stretching out a story as much as they possibly can. You have Taz and here earlier with Raven and William Regal, costing Regal the match. Now you have this match that's kind of thrown together, uh, where you can use it to the benefit of the show to add another tally onto one side. Um, but you also continue a storyline that was not necessarily uh, a fan favorite, like we spoke about. We didn't really care about the Raven William Regal but now we have another yeah. match that ties into that to kind of help raise that storyline. So, um, Tajiri, one of probably one of my favorite superstars who never spoke a word of English. <laughs> I never oh, knew what he was absolutely. saying. And absolutely. He was so fluent in the ring where I didn't have to hear him speak in order to be a fan of him. He still had that charisma about him. Yeah, the charisma. Exactly. We saw it with Eddie Guerrero over, over the years. We saw it with different people. Um, and then you yeah. see that heel side of him, too. So he, he kind of played he had all the bases covered. So I was really a big fan of Tajiri. Taz, you kind of knew what you were getting with Taz. Um, mm-hmm. It's Taz. <laughs> yeah, it's jumpsuit Taz. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but definitely to see Tajiri get the win over Taz, like I said, tying into that Regal match from earlier, getting the revenge, like you said, um, that's kind of what made it a little entertaining for me. Just to see mm-hmm. him get the revenge, but that was pretty much what it was. Yeah, and, and it amazes me the mist because you know as a kid it was just all magic to me. It's like oh he just conjures this mist up from his stomach and then spits it out of his mouth. But I was watching this match and I was like, when the, when the fuck did he put the mist in his mouth? So I like rewind <laughs> it. <laughs> it was like two minutes before the finish. So this whole time, you know, Tajiri's getting suplexed. He's he's kicking. He's doing the tarantula. He's all this with. So, I don't know. It's like a like a packet in his mouth, or does he just drink some green fluid? I don't know what it was, but I was impressed that Tajiri was able to not spit up the mist during this match. You know, it's funny. I never ever thought to look back to see when Tajiri or even Oscar, who doesn't who doesn't play, right. see when they put it in their mouth, or if they have it the whole time. Or I'm like, like you said, magic. <laughs> so I never actually yeah, exactly. looked back to see when they do this. That's actually pretty cool. You did that. Find yeah, out I, mean, I, I usually don't. Um, 
but I was just curious in this instance. And it's funny because you can kind of see some green on his hand tape. Yeah. Like that last few minutes of the match. So, but I didn't know it's in my first watch. So I guess that's all that matters. Uh, pretty seamless. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's like, like you said, that's like kind of like a couple matches in a row where it's just like not a huge amount of story other than it just happened to be WWF versus WCW, ECW. So it was at this point in the show, everything was kind of like blending together yep. for me. Um, I think ultimately that maybe made the show overall suffer a little bit, even though it might not be technically bad. Um, just not a lot of story outside of the inaugural brawl that comes later. Um, but I say that, and we have this next match, Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy for the Hardcore Championship. Now, this kind of contradicts what I was just saying, because there wasn't a lot of story to this match, but it was fucking amazing anyways. Um, whereas, you know, a Hardcore Championship, generally that's like the throwaway match of the show. But to me, this is the match of the night for me. Um, I mean, you can see it on paper. Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy in 2001. You know this is going to be an amazing match. Hardcore match. Um, got crazy spots with Jeff falling off that like 20-foot ladder onto the ramp. You got, uh, you got Rob Van Dam hitting the Van Daminator on Hardy, knocking him off the stage. Um, but yeah, when, when I was when I knew this show was coming up, like I knew this was the match I was looking forward to, and it did not disappoint at all. Um, ultimately, Rob Van Dam gets the win here and wins the hardcore title. Um, so that really builds RVD immediately because this really is coming out party as far as wrestling in front of a WWF audience. And I think he really impressed. Uh, he impressed me, and I'm sure he impressed a lot of people in the back with this match. See, Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy, to me, honestly, doesn't need a storyline. You see it on paper, and yeah. you're like, you're, you're interested. I, uh, I, I spoke to Rob Van Dam a few months ago. I, I did an interview with him. And I actually, that, yeah. I kind of spoke about this in a sense where Rob Van Dam was a huge star in ECW. Uh, at this time, nobody was really like, they were, they were aware of his ability, but it wasn't what it became. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. They were kind of grooming him to be. WWE's version of Rob Van Dam. Uh, the whole of the show, I guess. Yeah. These two on paper, any day of the week, I'm, I'm all in, making the main event. But if it was the first match of the show, I don't care, I'm watching it. Exactly, yeah. Similar styles, but very unique way of executing. Uh, so that mm-hmm. kind of uh, contradicts what I just said, similar style, but they just do it so differently, but <laughs> so perfectly. Um, and it's for the hardcore title, so it's it, there, there's something behind it. There's a reason why this yeah. match happened, you know. There's stakes. Exactly. Uh, Rob Van Dam getting the win over Jeff Hardy, brilliant in my opinion. Uh, the spots that you spoke about, Van Daminator, for example, mm-hmm. it's a pop every time. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And I think not only for Rob Van Dam, but for Jeff Hardy, because this is you know. Pretty fresh off the Hardy Boys. I mean, they're still a team, I guess, at this point, but they're both yeah, kind of they, doing their own thing. Yeah, they were starting to transition. But this match being one of the longest ones in the entire show, they give them that time for a reason. You know, it's not the yeah. main event, but here's, you know, a little less than 15 minutes. Go do your thing. Exactly. It's just confidence in both these guys. Exactly. They knew what they were, they knew what they were getting. Yeah, yeah. And then Robbie and Dan would go on to, you know, 
have a good amount of success for WWE. Um, I think you would be, you would even challenge Triple H for the world title, like within a year. Um, you know, Jeff Hardy has that match with Undertaker in a, a few months, I guess, maybe a little longer than that. But yeah, both these guys, both these guys showed out in this match, and um, I think both were rewarded after it based on their performance. So, if you uh, anybody listening, if you want to just watch one match from this show, this is definitely the one. Um, it's definitely a fun, fun watch. Yes, even if you want to watch two people really uh, that people really know today, as you know, everybody knows Robin Dam, everybody knows Jeff Hardy. If you want to see them really fighting to become where they are today, how they got here, that's definitely a great match to watch. Yeah, yeah. And arguably, both of them are their 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 physical prime. Arguably, yep. for both these guys. Um, but I have to correct myself. I said that was the match that you need to watch, but um, it's actually the next match: brawl and panties. <laughs> Trish, <laughs> Trish and Lita versus. Tori Wilson and Stacy Keebler. Does it get um, any What's that? Does it get any better than this? It it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> it was yeah. Watching this in 2020 is uh is interesting to say the to say the least. Um, very. You know, I, I it's crazy to say, but this match probably had one of the longest builds of any match on this show with a lot of cringy promos and other segments. Um, I think earlier there was a segment where Tori and Stacy were backstage talking to each other and Tori was like, they're never going to see my voluptuous breasts. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah, um, if you look back like at the way that they were trained to do what they did, they, that's how yeah. they, were, they were told to do that. What we look at today yeah. is the best way to say it, as 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 non-negative as it possibly could be, it's history. You know that we had to go through that to get to where we are today. So yeah, it is what it is, and it was it worked at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the crowd loved it. I mean, the audience watching at home loved it. It was it, like you said, it was the times. That's what people. Uh, that's the world we lived in. Um, now they're all it's good. pretty much Hall of Famers. Yeah, exactly. They're all able to uh, go on and have great careers, and they're both still. I don't, I don't know if they're all. I don't think they're wrestling any of them, but they're all. They have other aspirations and things they were able to transition from yep. from wrestling. Whether it's like a, I think Trish has like a yoga program, and yep. you know, Tori and Stacey are doing their own thing. So. Good stuff um, later in their careers, but this match was. Uh, I mean, as far as a brawl and panties match goes, I can't think of a better one. Can you? Uh, no, I can't. The only thing that comes <laughs> close would probably be the one at WrestleMania 19 or 20. I think it was. Was it the uh, Miller Light Girls? Yeah, it was the Miller Light Girls and like uh, Tori and Stacy, and then they turned on each other. And Man, the thing. That, that's long term booking. Yep, <laughs> that's impressive. <laughs> Yep. Uh, yeah, Trish and Lita get the win here. Um, as JR said, by taking off the the opponent's clothes and showing their unmentionables. <laughs> uh, God damn it, JR. Something yeah. that never change. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the things I've heard him say this, just this year alone. I'm like, man. That guy, JR, I mean, let, let the man. Uh, he's, he's all hopped up on Bluetooth. He just wants to stop on mud hole and somebody and walk him dry. 
He's still one of the greatest of all time. I love JR. He's one of my favorites. Yep. Um, but man, that brings us to the main event. We have the inaugural brawl, which is a, uh, a five on five, one fall to a finish match. So we have Stone Cold, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, Undertaker, and Kane versus DDP, Booker T, Rhino, and the Dudley Boys. Um, I'm watching this match and I'm seeing who's on each side of the equation. And I'm almost like, man, what if they just like made this the end of the invasion? Because it just, it seemed to have much more of the WWF versus WCW ECW feel than what would happen at Survivor Series later in the year. When they have like Shane McMahon on WCW and Shane is WCW ECW with Shane McMahon, Kurt Angle, Stone Cold, and then you have Booker T and RVD. So it was like, really, at the, by the end of it, it was all like, all right, can we just finish this shit already? Yeah, I, I didn't really like the back and forth, like people swapping the different sides. Um, maybe one, like if you leave it as like Stone Cold, you know, kind of yeah. it's like some other excitement to it, but switching so many names, and kind of they, they played it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it feels just stone cold because even, especially when you factor in, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know, after this pay per view, you move on to Stone Cold versus Kurt Angle, and they, they have a whole program that spans like several months, and then all of a sudden you have Kurt Angle just sw- switching sides. Like it's all, it's all, yeah. You know, the, the invasion it, it started out okay, but when we get to things like that, it gets very contrived and not a lot of continuity. And I think ultimately, when people shit all over the invasion, I think that's Kind of the reason why. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, this match, as far as the match itself, um, it was it was fine. I mean, it was a 10-man match, so it's it's going to be kind of clusterfucky by nature. Yep. Um, but for what they were able to do, um, I mean, you had a ton of talent in this match. I mean, the guys I just named, they're all Hall of Famers or should be Hall of Famers uh, at some point. So, you know, a pretty pretty good match for a, for a five-on-five match. Uh, the end comes when there's a bunch of chaos. You got a uh, you got DDP and Undertaker fighting in the crowd. You got people getting taken out through the announce table and through other tables, and ultimately, ultimately, you're left with Kurt Angle and Booker T in the ring. Kurt Angle has Booker T in an ankle lock, but that damn Stone Cold Steve Austin, that <laughs> damn Texas Rattlesnake, gets you every time. Yep, Kick, kicks Kurt Angle in the head, gives him a stunner. And allows Booker T to get the win for the team of the Alliance, and bringing the overall show tally to six and five in favor of the Alliance. So, definitely a, a major turning point in the storyline. Um, but yeah, yeah, what do you think about it? Um, I expected something like this to happen. To be honest with you, um, yeah, just because if it was to end there like it wouldn't make sense like right you have wcw and ecw win or you have wwf win the only thing i could see i could see happening that would make sense if they were going to end it that night you have wwf win and now they win six to five and wcw and wcw is done now Mm -hmm. everything's under the wwf umbrella Uh, but you have to think of who's who's writing these storylines who's producing them they think long term. So 
yeah. I kind of thought that something like this was going to happen. But I thought more it was going to come from the the alliance side. Or maybe we see like Booker T because he was the heavyweight champion. Maybe not that time, but he held it at one point and he wanted to yeah. kind of transition over to the WWE side. He turns on his on his team and now he's a WWE guy. Or WWF. Yeah. Right, That's right. kind of where I thought it was gonna, where it was gonna go. Um but Stone Cold turning makes so much sense just because if you look at where Stone Cold came from, came from WCW, it was let go by Bishop. Mm-hmm. So there is history there. It does make sense yeah. um, to kind of like go back, uh, kind of right the wrong in a sense, I guess. But mm-hmm. I don't think there could have been anybody else to pull this off the way they did. Stone Cold was a top guy. So, And WCW needed star power at this point because he had DDP and Booker T and then it was just the the cast along with them. So if you you look at these names on paper, you automatically, you're like, wow, how did the WWF team lose? Right, exactly. Yeah, that's Stone Cold, man. Gets you every time. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I feel like they had... Like like you were like you were saying in terms of long term storytelling, I'm sure they had a vision of a Survivor Series match being the kind of culmination of everything. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm sure they were still in that mindset during this match, and this is really not the end of the war. It was just kind of a, a pivot point. Um. See, so yeah, I didn't hate Stone Cold switching. Um. But like you said, when it came like the Kurt Angle, and then. You have Tess switching for no reason, like yeah. silly shit like that. It got a little convoluted, but uh, it was what it was. I mean, it's fun to kind of go back and watch this stuff and kind of see what they did right, what they did wrong, what they could have done. Well, my um, favorite part is too, like if you think about where all these guys, and for example, just just this match alone, the ten the ten men in this match, where they went with their careers and where they are today. I mean. Booker T, the Dudley Boys, DDP, Rhino. This is where they came into WWE. Yeah. So to see, you know, that kind of transition over to the main, the big stage, sort of say, mm-hmm. it's kind of really cool, I guess. Like for anyone who wants to watch uh, these guys, where like where they actually broke into WWE, uh, where mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily oh, we're the competition. Now we're all part of it. This is a great, this is a great part of history. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Despite how we think about how it was executed or not. Yeah, you know? yeah. Just like you said, seeing guys like Rhino in the main event, um, yeah. it's really cool to see it because I think he gets injured at some point during this year, and that kind of halts a lot of his momentum. Um, yeah, seeing him, seeing DDP get a chance to shine, Booker T. Um, they, they had a pretty good, you know, obviously they could have had more um, if, if logistics were able to allow it, like the Goldbergs and Hogan's and Flares and all that. But for what they had, I think they were definitely able to maximize the value of the guys that they had. I, I look at it like this. If, if we had Goldberg uh, at that time, if we had Sting at that time, how many wonderful WrestleMania matches would we have not had over the last few years? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, Goldberg that's and Lesnar, Goldberg and 
Braun Strowman, Goldberg, and Kevin. I don't even know how many matches we had with Goldberg. <laughs> yeah, that, that classic Goldberg versus Braun Strowman match. Yeah, but what about the classic uh, Super Showdown match? <laughs> Ooh, man. Barn burner. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when you put it that way, exactly. maybe it's good that maybe you should just stay away from it. Yeah. But yeah, man, that pretty much brings the show to a close. Um, if you had to give this show a rating out of 10, what do you think you would give it? Uh, out of 10. Honestly, I'd give it like a 6.5, 7. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably say the same, just being generous. Because you have, um, yeah, like this main event was solid. You have uh, Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy. Otherwise, I mean, just a lot of whatever on this show. I think, you know, if you put if you put yourself in the mindset or in the shoes of watching this in 2001, when uh, you know WCW is still pretty fresh in everybody's mind, exactly. and the, the possibilities in people's minds at this time, like, oh, what if what if what if Goldberg interferes in the main event and all that, like all that stuff? Like, there's a lot of anticipation building up in the audience, and you can kind of hear that. The crowd was pretty hot for a lot of the show. You know, maybe save like, a couple matches here and there, yep. um, but there was a like, good energy during this time, and while there were some, maybe some storyline hiccups, I think ultimately it was still a, a, still a fun watch. I think this, this pay-per-view, uh, it, it really was based upon the main event of the show. All the other matches, yeah, there was some build here and there, but I think all of these other, what, 10 matches, besides the main event, they were added to the show just to show, just to to show that it's a team effort, in my right. opinion, you know, yeah. have, even the referees. I mean, it was it was spoke, shown to, to show how it really is WWF versus everyone else. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I think ultimately, this is the invasion dominated the, the entire show. Obviously, Raw, SmackDown, it was the whole thing. Yeah. And I think they kind of took a macro approach to it. And that was, that was just all the WWF guys versus all the WCW and ECW guys. And they didn't really um, build within that. So that, that kind of left us with a lot of matches that had no build. Um, I mean, is that what they should have done? Is that not? I mean, we'll never know. Um, exactly. But it also gave uh, WWF fans, like, a visual of who these other people are, you know? Yeah. You're, you're like us, when we were kids watching this event in 2001. And you're not if you're not too familiar with ECW or WCW, which you probably weren't. You maybe maybe knew WCW, but ECW I think was more of a rated R show. Yeah, a little more niche. So yeah, so not all kids were watching that. Uh, but if you didn't know who Raven was or Billy Kidman or uh, Chris Canyon, for example, Sean Stasiak, if you didn't know who these people are, well, guess what? Now you do. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny watching this because I know like at the time watching this, I didn't know who Shane Helms was. I didn't know yeah. who Chavo Guerrero was, but like watching back, it's like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know Gregory was there back yeah. then. Or uh, you know, like you said, Canyon or just little, little Easter eggs you find every now and then. And this this mass of people is, uh, is fun to watch for sure. Exactly. But yeah, man, any other thoughts on the show in general? Uh, not really. I, you know what? We, we talk about positives and negatives of this show and the invasion angle as a whole. Um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't executed the way that we probably see it happen today. Um, but like I said earlier, it's a part of history and look 
where it got us. You know, over the years we saw, I guess, the revival of EC, uh, ECW. That was like oh five oh six. Revival was a word. Yeah, despite <laughs> what it was, uh, what happened to it. I mean, they tried to pull it off. Uh, yeah. So if you compare that to this invasion angle, it just blows it out of the water. Yeah. So yeah. there's so many ways to look at it, but overall, it's history, and uh, it, I guess it just made sense. It was best for business at the time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's really nothing else they could have done. They had the, like you said, they had a strike while the iron was hot. Um, I think they were able to learn from it. You know, see, we we would see kind of similar angles within WWE when it comes like to Survivor Series, and you have Raw versus SmackDown, and um, you brought up Nexus earlier, which is a similar thing. Um, I guess <laughs> Retribution, I guess, is kind of similar. Yeah, that's the latest. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same concept, right? So, um, yeah, like you said, it's history. It's fun to go back and watch, you know, get the good, bad, ugly. Um, but yeah, I had a fun time watching it. Great show. Great show. Yeah. So, um, yeah, once again, man, thanks for making time. I know you're uh, currently in a camper hanging off a canyon right now. <laughs> We're running away from bears, so <laughs> I appreciate you making the time to, to hop on here and uh, talk about some more wrestling with me. No, I appreciate you uh, asking me to come on, and you know, anytime I get to talk about wrestling, I'm making the time for it. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, did you have anything else that you uh, wanted to promote? Uh, yeah, I I have my own uh, wrestling podcast. It's the Angle Podcast. You could uh, follow me on all social media. It's at the Angle Radio um, on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, everywhere like that, you can check out theangleradio.com and it's there. And, uh, yeah, that's my show. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've listened to a few episodes and I, I really like it. I only reach out to guys who uh, are entertaining and seem like they know their shit. And uh, I definitely, definitely a good listen uh, for anybody <laughs> listening to the Angle podcast. I appreciate it. And I'd love to have you on my show whenever, uh, whenever we're able to. When I get back from my trip. I definitely, yeah. yeah you, more, uh, you said you're kind of coming back in, uh, after your trip. Yeah, I'm gonna be back. I'm gonna be back from the trip next week. I'm going full force with a lot of stuff that I have going, uh, I have planned. So uh, I want to do a pre-show or something for the events. So if you'd like to be a part of that, I'd love to have you on there. I'd love to. Just let me know. All right. Well, uh, with that, man, I'll let you get back to uh, whatever you are, whatever state you're traveling to next. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Just yeah. Thanks again, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And uh, have a good night. Once again, thank you to Joey from The Angle Podcast. Uh, be sure to follow all of his information that he just gave you. Um, you can check out the description of this podcast for all his info, uh, theangleradio.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at theangleradio. Uh, really good dude. Um, like I, I think I mentioned before, he's traveling all across the country right now, so he's been kind of taking a break from the podcast, but he'll be revving up again here soon. So be sure to check him out. Um, lots of interviews and other stuff that he does. So with that, that is all Daddy has for you today. Uh, apronbump.com, Instagram, Twitter, at apronbump. Uh, make sure to su- subscribe. Got a got a got a lot of good shit coming for you next week. So, um, yeah, why don't you just, uh, fucking suck your dog's dick and, okay.
<laughs> I need to stop ending shows like this because I feel like it puts a bad taste of cum in everybody's mouth. Anyways, thanks again once for everybody. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm hard.